Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Greetings. Welcome to the second ever Neil Before Pod. Following our discussion of the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek film, it makes sense to follow that up with a discussion on the second, Star Trek Into Darkness. Joining me again are Sandy, Angus and Natalie to work through our thoughts on this divisive experience. I'll start off by setting the podcast spoiler alert. And now, I'll beam in my bridge crew. Welcome aboard again, everyone. Hello. Uh, Everyone arrive okay this time? I think I got the bugs out of the transporter. I don't don't mean to complain, but my left foot is now my right foot. Uh, it's, It's better than before. It certainly is. And Angus and Natalie... Hi, have you arrived? I thought you said you fixed that transporter. We recently, very recently, talked about the first of the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies. So now we're here to talk about the uh, the second. Um, any opening statements from anyone? Okay, film, I thought. Fair enough. Uh, I think that's going to go against everybody else, though. Angus, Natalie? Uh, I don't like it. <laughs> that's a fairly blunt opening statement. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I can't wait to explain it. Yeah, well, here we go. And Angus? Uh, looking forward to your thoughts on it, as uh, <laughs> the first time I saw it was with you, and you had quite a lot to say about it then, so uh, I, I'm curious to see if uh, you've changed your mind on anything, or if you've uh, you've only receded further into darkness. <laughs> well, uh, an interesting anecdote, when I was doing my note-taking exercise, I don't know if this is interesting... It took me several days to watch it. I couldn't ever sit and just watch the whole thing through again. It, I found it difficult. I find this film difficult. Fair enough. So, it's going to be a fun chat. <laughs> oh yeah, this but is going to be interesting. In, in better news, I really enjoy the opening. I think the the volcano scene's brilliant. It's you know really exciting. Feels like the end of an original series episode with a budget. Uh, shows them all working together. They tell us about the Prime Directive. You know, there's all sorts of stuff going on. You liked that planet, didn't you, Natalie? Yeah, the, like, white one with the red and stuff. It's really cool. Yeah, it's quite visually cool, yeah. Yeah, like, it's um, quite visually arresting. I thought it was quite a nice way to open up the the movie, and I had quite high hopes for it, actually, because I thought, all right, they're going to introduce this new place. This might be the focus. Absolutely not. Um, it's yeah. I don't know. I feel like they could have done uh, more following that scene, but I enjoyed that scene at the start. Thought it was quite um, quite interesting. Quite a lot going for it. It's thankful after the first five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I was able to. Um, I was able to forget about how stupid it is to have the Enterprise under the water because, you know, because it's a cool shot to have it rise out of that same water. But I quite liked. Uh, I quite liked the visual. I just thought there's no reason for it to be down there. Traditionally not, but there's nothing saying no, really. Uh, so what's the I problem? Mean, it's just it makes no sense. Why? It makes perfect sense. They're hiding it. Well, they could hide it in orbit, surely. But that's not cool. <laughs> oh, well, then they can transport and stuff. And they're using shuttles, so yeah, they don't need to be close. Wasn't there some in- sort of problem with the sh- with the transporters at some point, uh, if I remember correctly, that uh, they couldn't quite transport properly? Only because they weren't, uh, they didn't have complete line of sight with with Spock, which again makes no sense. 
Yeah, but no, Craig, no. you're you're right. Now that I'm thinking about it, especially when they were trying to be subtle, uh, concealing yourself under water so that you have to emerge in front of the the species, uh, isn't quite what they were going for. I imagine. No, it's not very smart. It's not. But it was a cool scene, so I was willing to let it go. You know. Um. I, I thought it was quite good. It had the, it had the um, the novelty of never having been done before, and I loved um, Scotty belly aching about what the saltwater was doing to his ship. That, yeah. that 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 that's just Scotty. It's a shame they don't have shields that could you know stop saltwater getting in. Mm. Wouldn't wouldn't be able to belly ache as much then. But yeah, it's, I mean it's a cool scene. Everyone's in it. Everyone's doing stuff. Except Chekhov, he's not really doing anything uh, until towards the end. Yeah, he doesn't do much actually. Yeah, he, t- he talks about how he can't do things, and that's about it. <laughs> so once they uh, get back to the Enterprise, they have a big argument about the Prime Directive, and uh, and everybody's shouting, and everybody's a bit frantic because Spock's in a volcano, um, ready to stop it, and um, and yeah, they're they're having a debate over whether he survives or not. I mean. Uh, I didn't really expect them to have the Prime Directive be part of the, the experience, but it's it's quite interesting to see it applied in this this way. You know, the the whole um, we can't be seen, but what happens when someone's life's on on the line? Yeah, it's it's an interesting um, scene with some good points raised on both sides. I mean, one of them does ask, "What would what would Spock do in this uh, situation?" And who, who is it that says he'll leave you behind? Uh, McCoy he'd let you die. Yeah, he'd let you die without without blinking, and probably would. Yeah. Um, how does the Prime Directive come across from a non-Star Trek standpoint, Natalie, in this film? How does the what come across? The, the Prime Directive, the whole uh, not interfering with answer. primitive cultures rule that they have. Uh, it sounds like both. <laughs> <laughs> Like honestly, see when they like when they started trying to explain that being why they've done things, I was like, no, you haven't. I found it, yeah, I found it odd when they started to say what it is that they do that they're just supposed to be explorers and document stuff and not affect anything. I was like, well, in the first five minutes, you've done exactly the opposite. Well, I actually think so. I mean, I think you don't see this scene because you come in at the end of this mission, but I think there were there was probably a discussion beforehand about, okay, how do we save these species and uphold the Prime Directive? And then someone would have said, if they don't see us, there's nothing wrong. But how can you... That's still interfeeding. It is. I mean, it, they're... They're really not going to interfere. And you wouldn't okay. do that. And and I said to Gush, because we watched, we watched it yesterday, so it was my first time watching it. And... They, so they plug up the volcano. Yep. They use a cold fuse, what's it? Yeah. Cold thermal fusion type thing on it. But I was like, they've just completely changed the planet that these people live on. We don't know what that volcano provided for the people. The volcano may have provided an incredible soil for them to grow their freaky plants on. <laughs> it might have provided them, like, heat. It might have provided them you know, like their water, it may have provided them their entire their entire ecosystem might be dependent on the actions of the volcano and they've come in and they've decided to make the decision to change that 
And I found that quite odd because I thought, well, we, you don't know what that is to them. You could argue that um, if they'd let the volcano take its course, there would be no ecosystem because there wouldn't have been a planet. The whole idea was if they let this, if they I'm let the, the, um, the, the whole reason why they were there was, um, if I remember correctly, the volcano was going to explode in such a way that it was going to destroy either the eco-planet or the system. I can't remember, the, 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 the planet, I can't exactly remember what, and they decided was, to prevent that. I think it was, it was going to, yeah, just dis- destroy the entire world, but I don't think it's a big enough volcano to do that. But, you know, Probably I, not, no. But let's, um, I think, let's assume for a minute that it's going to do that. I think um, certainly Spock would have done a bit of a risk assessment and, and probably decided, right, okay, these, these people are going to die um, mm-hmm. if this volcano erupts, and we're in a position to do something about it, but this rule says that we can't, but technically if they don't see us, nothing, no rule is broken. Yeah. Technically, but mm, technically but also not. That, it's not that they save them by remaining invisible and luring them away. Like Their, their intention the whole time is to um, force the volcano into not being active. Yeah. So that's permanently altering where they live. That is them having an effect. Do they think that they were going to return back to the volcano and then it'd be, like, frozen? I, like, I don't understand, like, that... Even though the scene was very visually lovely, I found it incredibly frustrating because it just doesn't make any sense. Like, it doesn't make any sense. They're completely... They, they've altered that planet. And it's not about them saying that the planet was going to have been destroyed. It's about us presuming that the people living on it are more important... Than uh, than that earth, like than that world. That that's entirely the point. That's why he gets um, his uh, butt handed to him mm. when he gets back to Earth, because he's he's violated um, uh, the ma- rule number one um, in Starfleet. You know, no 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 interference. So it sets him up for uh, spoilers. Sets him up for losing the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of him. Um... But that. that that's the reason. Yeah, but I just found it odd that they still were trying to convince the viewer that that's what they were doing when it wasn't. No, I don't think they were trying to convince the viewer that. They were just... You had two opposing reasons, two opposing uh, sides to the to uh, the decisions being made, and it was being played out in front of us. I don't think okay. they were trying to convince a, uh, the viewer or anything. Yeah, later on in the movie, though, they're talking about how the purpose of... Um, the Enterprise and everything is to go out and record things and to observe and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you don't see any of that in the first movie and then you don't see any of that in the second movie. They shouldn't have even bothered to have included that because I don't think that that's what Star Trek is anymore. If it was that in the past, then... There's no hint of that in the movies at all. Like, there's nothing that shows that shows um, Star Trek to be about observing things and being passive and other things and coming across things. All they've done is gone out and sought um, to change things or to run up against other species or to try and uh, get back at the people for blowing up um, Spock's planet and stuff. And you just think, well, you're not actually doing what you've now told me that you're doing. Yeah. And and I don't really, I didn't really get their point like at all. 
No, I agree. That's the only instance of exploration you see in either film, really. I mean, the first film can be forgiven because it's all about setting it up to, to get them to that point. And then the film starts mm-hmm. off with them doing that. So it's, you know, the, the start is all pretty positive. It's, oh, this is good. Uh, wonder where they're off to next. Oh, back home, you know. But um, I think the problem with the whole Prime Directive issue in this particular film is it's a discussion that's never quite had. When Kirk's getting his uh, dressing down from Pike, Kirk does ask him, well, what would you have done? And he responds with, I wouldn't have put my first officer in danger in the first place. And it's that's kind of negating the issue. If you're faced with... Um, if you're faced with inaction kills an entire species, or action can save them, what do you do? Uh-huh. And I think Kirk does what we would all do, puts his resources and his knowledge towards saving the people when he can do it, and yeah. the, the plan and is all about not that. getting spotted. You know, it's, I mean, uh, he you know wears a disguise, runs away, uh, they try to use a shuttlecraft, and then Suddenly, when spot. How's wearing a disguise though? How is wearing that like robe thing being like not seen? <laughs> Do you the, mean it's the idea like, that the natives wouldn't see? Where, why can they not have invisible cloaks or something? You know, like invisibility <laughs> cloaks. Why can they not just have those? Harry Potter's got one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a good question, but um. But I okay, so I I totally get your point about that's exactly what we would like to think that we would do in that situation, yeah. which is fine. What I don't like though is that they're they're still trying to push the original Star Trek idea that it was just about the exploration part. I don't know why they had to include that at all. It's totally not relevant, and it's not something that they live up to at all in either of the movies, except for those five minutes. And I just didn't think that it warranted them having to specify that that's what their primary purpose was, because that's not what I've seen at all. Yep. No, I think the point was that the, the first the first film, yeah, fair enough, it's, it, it's setting it all up and the, the everything that's uh, being done uh, to negate what's going on. Uh, the second film was, um, you know, there's a little bit of exploration there, but then Kirk gets a dressing down, then uh, events take over. And it progresses along as uh, as we all discuss, and at the end, it's kind of like uh, saying, "Well, now let's get down to the business that we actually got came out here for. Let's we've got all that done behind all that's behind us. Let's get on with what we actually want to be doing." Yeah. But I don't think that it's what the what they're about anymore. That's not what either of the movies have have focused on. So, so far, should... so far, exactly. I don't, yeah, but do you well, honestly was, see them making another movie where they're just going to focus on them jumping around from planet to planet and well, taking is, down like, different is, plants that we've seen? Stuff. It, is, it, it is intimated that uh, in, in the trailers, that in the, ne- in the next film, the upcoming film, that they have gone out there to explore and they've come across someone who's quite nasty. Of course they have, <laughs> because there's no movie without a villain. Yeah, except there could be. Um, it's something. Well, I don't think I don't think that they would do that though. There's no way no, that they I would just have. Either I think they're, I think they're using the wrong influences for these Star Trek films. To be honest, I think that um, if you're going to copy a modern film of any sort, it should be more along the lines of Interstellar rather than Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious. Do you not know think? I think he totally reminds me of Paul Walker, that main guy. Chris Pine. <laughs> yeah, that's is that who it is. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's yeah. sort of generic American blonde guy. <laughs> I've never anyway. heard that one before. Oh, well. That's, that's a new one. Yep. So I was watching it and I was like, oh, he totally reminds me of that guy. R.I.P. Although, um, this, this opening, this opening sequence, it, it kind of sets up what, at one point, I think, was supposed to be the arc for Kirk. It doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. But the arc is supposed to be that he doesn't, he doesn't understand why the rules are in place or why they're important. So he suddenly decides that he needs to, um, you know. So he he disobeys them because he he thinks he's above them. So it, it's kind of supposed to be a film about him learning the importance of the 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 oath that he's taken in effect. Because at this point, you know, he says, "So what they saw is big deal." And then the next shot is them um, this species worshiping the the image of the Enterprise. I like that. I thought that was so funny. Well, it shows how much of an effect they've had just by being there, you know, and just by I making that mistake. And I hold to the fact that I think that we are aliens. <laughs> yeah, it, it shows it shows you how um what that that there is the prime reason why the prime directive is is um is in place. Yeah. To, to stop influencing people influencing cultures. They've now influenced a culture that culture's now gonna um gonna worship some sort of um Sky god that rises from the sea and disappears. Yeah, I I quite liked the inclusion of that aspect in the intro mm-hmm. because um, we know that we're going to get a sort of high octane modern action sci fi movie, but it's quite nice that they even kind of include uh, a sort of nod to the past and to the more sort of sedate elements of. Yeah. It, it does feel like an updated episode of the original series in a lot of ways, or an up, the updated end of episode. You know the, the last. The last act of, a, of an episode, you know, and, uh, but with modern sensibilities attached. So, you know, high budget, uh, lots of shouting, lots of running around, um, yeah. you know, and it's sort of a, well, almost a twist ending. You know, you could imagine if this was an episode of a modern Star Trek series, that shot of the, the aliens starting to worship the Enterprise would be the, the cliffhanger ending, so to speak. Yeah, how are they going? How are they going to make this bit all good again? Yeah, well, kind of. I mean, they won't. Thing. I imagine the Federation yeah, are just yeah. like, let's just ignore this planet. You know, let's hope, <laughs> let's hope they forget, or you know, they they become non-religious or something. I don't know. But their their culture has fundamentally changed because they're now worshiping some kind of weird sky god thing. But that doesn't need to be a negative. Well, not necessarily, no. But it's uh, it's, it's, it's still against worshiping the ship because it saved them and yeah. they recognise that it saved them and there's nothing wrong with that isn't that what anyone does um, argue, arguably someone saved them or being a saviour or you know acted in that role the, the whole, uh, the the whole of it. the whole purpose of the rule is that um, it's not their place to decide whether then why, did they, then why did they go to the planet at all then why did they risk because they're they're on, a, they're, on a, they're on a survey mission. I think they're supposed to be there to study the volcano's eruption. Probably from orbit as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Kirk But once they get there, they're like, "Hang on, we can't let these people die." And then, yeah. I mean, you never find out the mechanics of what gets. There them we down. go, Craig. There yeah. we go. By making that decision to save that species, they have decided to play God. Yes. So, Basically, and that's why it gets a dressing yeah. down. Mm-hmm. But. Right. Okay. I, I think I think what you're doing. Uh, the, the problem is here. You, you, I, I think it's because you're lacking the historical, um, the whole history about it all. And there's, Kirk has bent and broken the um, the prime directive on more than one occasion. 
yeah. when the, when the when the mission has required it. Um, and this is this is Kirk here. Um, he's a bit of a reckless person, and that's that's. Uh, and he's not, told not that. reckless to save people. No, not necessarily. Definitely not. But it's still against the law. Well, not law. It's against the rules. It's against the Prime Directive. And there's been several occasions in Star Trek where they have had to just step back and go, we can't interfere. Okay, so they could have done that. They could have not interfered. Um, And that would have been good. Would have been horrendous, to be honest. But um, it would have been following the rules. Well, it would have been nature, right? It would have been letting... Uh, the nature of that planet take the course. We don't know what the next step would have been should that have happened. That's precisely the point for, yeah. of the Prime Directive. So and that's Kirk why, right. yeah, that's <laughs> why Kirk's get gets a dressing down. Here's the thing, right? Um, through this long discussion, we've come across what would have actually been a more interesting film, you know, <laughs> about the. Uh, about the Prime Directive as it relates to this particular species. You know, I'd have watched that for two hours. <laughs> Assuming that, you know, obviously they would have had to build an entire structure in the story to... And they would have had to make that species worth saving as well. Definitely. You know, worth saving from an audience point of view. You know, it would have been a really complex if, and interesting yeah. thing, but... If you, if, if you were going to uh, focus an entire film on just them, then you would need to have built in traits that makes them worth saving and stuff like that. Yeah. Definitely. So, what do you mean? Like they have to what they have to have traits now to warrant being saveable. I mean as if the if the whole film was to be focused on this idea of the prime directive, oh. you know, pros and cons yeah. then they would have had to about to, this yeah. otherwise yeah, why, exactly. about to make what, contact. Otherwise yeah, it's why, a staff meeting, you know, uh, basically. Yeah, why why single out this species <laughs> to to break the rules for kind of thing? There, there would have to be some sort of exceptional reason if they were going to focus the entire film and just just on that. If you happen, if you happen to be there and you think, do you know what, we can do this, we can affect change, we can save these people. I think why not? But I don't think that anyone should have a problem with them being like, oh, they're totally, you know, playing God. People play God all the time. Yeah, and in any <laughs> previous instance of the Prime Directive being used as part of a story, or at least the good instances what you've got is you've got a situation where, okay, this is the rule on paper, and here's me sitting in front of these people. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, when you're sitting in front of all these living beings that you're, you can do something about, then it becomes a bit harder than just following a simple rule. Yeah, I've got, like, nothing wrong with it. Yeah. I just, I don't think they should have frozen the volcano. Well, that was the whole point. They, they needed to fro- freeze the whole volcano, otherwise it was going to destroy... Destroy that civilization. How would it be the whole planet, though? The only information we have to go on is that if the volcano had erupted, the whole planet would have been destroyed. So there's your motivation. What's the well? Okay, then what's the point of a of Jim leading everyone to the edge where the water is? What is what is the point of him doing that if that wasn't enough to save them? Uh, Because they're in the. Because it's starting to erupt and they're in the blast zone, I think. I think that's the reason they give. Okay, so he, so he leads them to outwit the blast zone, does he not? Try, he's yeah. trying to get them out of immediate danger. Yeah. Like so the, he the puts, lava flows and everything kill people he before. Scroll, he puts a scroll on one of the trees yeah. so that they stop, they don't run off the cliff as the other guys do, and they stop in an area which they have deemed to be safe. Not safe, out, so of, imme- safe out of immediate danger. 
So Why do they not have boats? Because they've not invented a wheel yet. Most likely not. Maybe they haven't. Who knows? We don't know anything about this species. Other than the, well, the guy says that they've barely invented the wheel. Yeah. Pike. So there you go. They probably don't have boats yet. Well, there well, you I go. Think, yeah. I think if you go back to Egypt, this is like, I think, Egypt, aliens. So Kirk loses the Enterprise. He don't does. go old Stargate on us now. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, Kirk gets demoted to first officer um, for about five or six minutes. Uh, he goes to a staff meeting, and he's yep. the only one that notices the blindingly obvious. And <laughs> they're sitting in a, a, they're sitting in a secure room that has giant windows. And uh, spoiler alert: Khan attacks because they're in a room with giant windows. What happened to the old-fashioned war room that's a bunker with no windows? Indeed, well, I suppose they're not expecting uh, their own to um, to attack them. There's a more lightened earth, apparently, or something. Well, they are expecting their own to attack them, because their own has already attacked them. Very true. So they don't have any kind of defences that would have um, repelled that. It calls for support, but it doesn't come in. (laughs) Because he he just sort of flies up to the window and lets loose. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Although I thought the the preceding scene, where the the Noel Clark scene... Uh, played out quite well. It was like a nice little silent film that that kind of laid out his his little mm-hmm. story, and then it was over with when he when he killed himself. But I, I really I thought, like yeah. when the uh, when you see the explosion in the distance, but it zooms mm. into the picture of his daughter, you know, rather than he's done it for his daughter. Yeah, that that was really effective. Yeah, rightly or wrongly, he did it for his daughter. Yeah, yeah. He did what for that guy? Oh, yeah. yeah, he helped Khan get into the archive well, to blow it up. Yeah, obviously wrongly, if that guy is viewing his daughter's life above many other people's lives. Yeah, but it's, it's again that, you know, you've got this situation in front of you, what would you do? Yeah, you've, mm. got, your, you've got your life on blood, you've got, you've got your life on blood, your own li- uh, blood dying, flesh and blood, yeah. flesh and blood that's what I want to say, um, dying, and this guy says, I can cure her, click, like that, yeah. I just need you to do something for me. You just need to go out and slaughter all these innocents to do it. Mm. Some people, some people, and it is a historic. It's in history. People have done a lot of strange things for. Family. Yeah, in history, but it's not very like I don't know. Just I mean, that was it, interesting. It, that it, was interesting it, that he would do that. It ties into another missing theme in the film as well. The, the whole thing of family. You know, they were trying to establish some kind of family theme, but it doesn't really go anywhere either. So you know, he does that for his family. Khan is supposedly doing everything for his family. And Kirk has to learn that his crew is his family. But again, mm-hmm. no one learns anything. No. <laughs> so, you know, well, the thing is, when Kirk was made first officer, part of me, well, I, I mean, I'd seen the trailer, so I kind of knew it was going to play out this way anyway, but part of me was thinking that, you know, at some point during the film, once Kirk's learned enough, Pike will die and he has to be captain again, you know, like, um, so you could have him be first officer, learn a few things, and then kind of step up towards the end. Yeah, but I think that in these films, uh, they feel like they need to have him be Captain Kirk all the time. Yeah, even though he's the least um, competent person in the chair. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I was, I, I was quite on board with that idea. It's like, okay, there's some consequences to his arrogance, and now he has to learn, and he's going to learn under the his mentor who helped him in the last film, and then he learns nothing and gets given the ship, 
back and gets given Spock back and he gets to go out again and you know be bent on revenge yep I think he does learn something in this film I mean it certainly doesn't fire off those torpedoes spoilers uh, without um, he doesn't just do it uh, just like that yeah I've been told to fire these torpedoes I'm going to fire them if he hadn't learned anything he would have done it yeah although I think that was already Kirk's better nature I think he was just angry and he'd had enough time to sort of calm down by the time he got back you know got out there and then had rationalised it a little bit mm. Mm. and after he after gave Khan a little bit of a well tried to give Khan a bit of a beating yeah I mean he didn't have to he didn't have to learn that firing torpedoes at someone without give, you know letting them answer for themselves is wrong I think he already knew that Mm. Uh, I just think he was, you know, angry enough to um, to, to, maybe to do it to do it for a little while. Mm. Um, and you've got that whole thing where Admiral Marcus sees a bit of himself in Kirk, which troubles Spock a lot. It clearly agreed. So yeah, the um, I mean, the revenge thing it does it, it doesn't really work. You know, um, sure, Khan kills Pike, but um, I don't think that's really enough. To get the plot moving. In the way well, kind of, well you, you've got an impu- impulsive captain, so uh, you've got that that to play. You know, you see, he sees his mentor die in front of him. Uh, uh, that would make make some people go, "Right, I'm going to get, some, I'm going to exact some revenge on this." Yeah. yeah, the surrogate father, I suppose that we all, we've already seen kind of convinced him to join up and uh, mentored him. So uh, you can see why he would. Why he would um, want revenge for, or to avenge his mentor? Yeah, um. and he kind of, and he kind of thinks thinks about it once he's all, once they uh, once they're out there and he gets Khan. It's, 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 he could have killed him, but he decides no. I'm going to have let you answer for your crimes. Yeah. So he, he kind of learns there. Well, hang on a second. It's not all about revenge and avenging de- uh, friends. It's there's more to it. Yeah, I, I do think it's just more that he calms down. I, I don't think for a second that Kirk would be capable of just flying out there, firing off a bunch of torpedoes, and then leaving. But it was certainly it was certainly possible at the very start. You could quite entertain that he would do it, but then he kind of mellows. I think I think he listens um, to Spock. Hmm. So you've got you've got you've got that little. You had you always had that in the original series where Spock would sometimes. Tell Kirk, uh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, they, they, maybe we should play it that way, and Kirk would sometimes go, "Okay." Yeah. So maybe there's you've got that kind of. He's now he's he's gone from not liking Spock to accepting him as as his first officer to now accepting his counsel. Hmm. There's sort of other weird things going on around about that point. You've got Bones hinting that there's something seriously wrong with Kirk on a medical level. That doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, he keeps telling him his vitals are way off, and Kirk's like, "Shut up!" And then it never gets brought up again. Um, and you've got the this, this Scotty resigning bit, so that he can be there to discover the big ship later. Um, well, that's another instance of um, someone being promoted to a job where I was sure there must have been lots of other engineers who yeah. uh, could have stepped in. Yeah, <laughs> the chief. But instead, it just says, oh, Chekhov, you do Yeah, Chekhov, put on a red shirt, which is oddly predictive <laughs> if you think about it. Oh, oh yeah. dear, yeah. 
Well, Chekhov has always been apparently been the whiz kid, a whiz kid. So I think that's it's a nod to that, to the character's history. Yeah. But so there might have been might have been some hierarchy that I wasn't aware of, but I just thought it's, it seems funny when you've kind of got your established bridge crew who then always just seem to step in and take whatever role is required. Yeah, that's a systemic problem with with Star Trek. There's like seven people on a ship of four hundred that can do everything, and uh, mm-hmm. you know where are the other three hundred and ninety three people? Uh, what are they up to? What was the joke that I saw the other day? Um, entire first landing uh, landing party dead. I know you know what. Let, let's let's beam down the entire bridge crew. Yeah. That sounds simple. That sounds clever. Yeah, but the the thing it, it, that's where something like Firefly um, does a little bit better because there are only like seven or eight people, you know, and mm. you know they so they do everything because that's all there is. Mm. Okay. I I. I appreciate that it gives him something else to do, and it, it means that he's there in the end to, uh, you know, to help them out in in engineering. Yeah. But I always enjoyed the the whole uh, Chekhov Sulu kind of interplay, so I kind of missed that. Yeah, I would also, I would have liked to also means that that. Anton Yelchin's in less of the film because you know yeah because he's not <laughs> yeah get the set up front yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's one of those. Yeah, there's an engineer. There must be an engineer down there that really hates Kirk right now because you know, <laughs> because you know, hey, I'm, I've been, I've been helping running this place. I, I should be next, and oh, oh wait, hey, who's this young upstart? So I have to answer this. What eighteen year old now? Great, you know. Yeah, it's quite funny. It was quite bizarre, but um, but I don't know. That's sort of the least of my problems, I suppose. Yeah, like Scotty quitting over the fact that he wants to be an explorer. You know, that's that's um, that's quite good. You know, he just uh, he stands up for his principles, and I like that he was he, he wasn't expecting Kirk to follow call his bluff. Yeah, you know, that was obvious. He he was expecting Kirk to go right. Then let's have a look. Yeah, but no, Kirk. Kirk at that point is still hell bent on revenge. He'll do anything, including accept the resignation of his uh, chief engineer. Yeah, and it's—I mean, there's another awkward part in that—that that whole scene. You know, you've got the conversation he has with Ahura, where they're essentially gossiping, and I just felt that mm. you know, I get in the original series or Next Generation or anything, you get this kind of air of professionalism about the crew, even when they're being friendly, they're sort of yeah, but they're like twenty years old. <laughs> yeah, but Kirk was old. Star Trek baby, you know. So you know the the fact that he's a captain of a ship and he's. He's essentially bad mouthing his first officer behind his back. Doesn't really sit well with me, you know, from a professional point of view. It's just the way it's going to be. I think that's today's sensibilities. Yeah. Uh, that's fairly accepted. I mean, it's not bad mouthing as such. All he does is says, uh, uh, "You're fighting." Oh my god, what what must that be like? And stuff like that. He can't quite understand because he's obviously had his fair share of arguments with Spock already um, um, Spock's, uh, Kirk's impulsiveness against uh, Spock's uh, logic doesn't all, obviously off screen it doesn't always gel and they've had arguments yeah they're, but they're functionally a military organisation right so like I, I don't know I couldn't imagine them, them bickering like that or gossiping like that in in any sort of real thing well, I don't think I don't think it was gossip. I think it was just just 
filling time. Yeah. But then again, that is generally that is filling time is gossiping. Yeah. It was just it was just a bit awkward to me. I just didn't feel like it was very Star Trek at that point. Well, fair enough. Fair point. The times there are changing, Craig. Yeah. This isn't your father's Star Trek, as they were fond of saying. In <laughs> marketing for the... Certainly the first one. Yeah, so... Kirk does decide that, you know, an away mission's going to be better. Um, which is helpful because they get sabotaged anyway. The ship gets flown out of warp and they, they're stuck for a bit. Um, exactly, yep. So, you know, they... they well, I think they're close enough to fire the torpedoes anyway. They are. Yeah. Uh, some, somehow they can they can reach across an entire um, sector or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's Klingon space. They're on the edge of Klingon space, and Kronos isn't exactly um, at the edge either. It's deep inside it. Yeah. So yeah. how they, they gel over? How they manage that? Yeah. It takes them twenty minutes to get there. At impulse apparently. Can we talk about what is Benedict Cumberbatch? <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> so it's about yeah. At this point, where you're introduced to, or properly introduced to, John Harrison in inverted commas, uh, mm. where he shows up and he decimates a bunch of Klingons with two giant guns. Um, and it was <laughs> certainly at that point I knew that the they'd been um, they'd been lying about the fact that Khan was in the film. Because there was no other person, no other human being that could do that sort of thing, as far as I was concerned. Especially since we'd already met Carol Marcus. And the last time she was in a film, Khan was in it. Who's Carol Marcus? The Alice Eve's character. The weapons expert that... Gets oh, that's the daughter of the Admiral? Yeah. Yes. Well, Robocop's daughter. By the way, can I just say that that was a load of sh- <laughs> 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 In what way? Honestly, well, if anything, I thought they were going to go the Star Wars way and be like, "Oh, it's your sister," but nope. That would have been weird. Especially that would have been very weird, especially when you know. Would have been, been more interesting than what they, they tried to do. Well, oh, it's not from the ship, and I'm Admiral Star. Oh, it's like, well, great. Why are you so special? Why are you here? Well, the reason they put Carol Marcus in it was as a bit of fan service because she ends up being the the mother to Kirk's child in the other timeline. What? Yeah. No way. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But in this there, film, in she might as well be called anything because she doesn't really do anything. No, she's just there. Might as well be a sister, and she looks exactly like them. <laughs> Although she does get them, get them onto the um, stop. The, she does play a little part uh, in regards to the torpedoes. A little. Mm, bit. I think it would have been better if she'd not been there at all. Chekhov could have She's done that. Chekhov, definitely. She, she didn't need to be there. No. And ultimately, her being on the ship didn't didn't uh, stop uh, Admiral Marcus from uh, beating it to a pulp. Yeah, she was um, she was there for quote unquote fan service. But, yes. Um, but fan service does not enjoyment make. Not always. Yeah. No. Just to say, well, at least you enjoyed it, but obviously not. No, I didn't. No, and um. <laughs> I was interested to see the sort of start of a relationship between Kirk and Carol Marcus, but you don't see that at all. They have like, no. one conversation. They've got bigger things to do than have relationships, Craig. 
<laughs> He's like a big bad guy in the way. Yeah, but you know it should be a big international stuff. Well, knowing that you said that they end up in a relationship and have babies and whatnot, that's fine. And I'm actually quite glad that they decided not to focus on that being part of the story because I'm so sick of watching a movie where they have to try and get in some sort of love, romantic character development. I'm like, no, the the planet's about to explode. Get on with that. Well, I mean, yeah. judging, judging by the, the end of the film, the idea was that she was going to join them on their adventures and then the, the relationship could develop from there, but... She's not in the next one, as far as I know. No, I've not seen her in any any, and I've not seen She'd her be being built and center as well. If if she was, yeah, because she was. Why? Why should she be? She's not a main character. Well, because Alice Eve's a reasonably big actress. I mean, she's not huge, but she's you know she's been the lead in some things. Um, you, I don't know. And she was on posters for this film as well, so. Yeah, well... Have you seen Men in Black 3? She was in that. Yes, I saw that, but do I do focus on them? No, I focused on both men and... She was the young old. (laughs) And she had a a thing with um, Josh Brolin's character. Yes. Mm -hmm. I wonder why she's been discontinued then. I wonder, yeah. It's probably explaining some tie-in comic that I'll never read. (laughs) Or (laughs) out of universe, it's most likely she just didn't want to do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't like the last one. Yeah, they keep making me take my clothes off for no reason, so I'm not doing this anymore. It's quite possibly something as simple, yeah. or she was maybe too expensive. Who knows? Maybe. Mm, yeah, maybe. When you're paying for Idris Elba, though, I think that you know you can probably afford Alice Eve. Well, when you've got an ensemble cast, uh, when someone else then wants a big part, a slot of the pie as well, sometimes you can just say, well, we were already spending that much on so many people, we just can't do that. Go away. We'll just yeah. not write your character in, thank you very much. Yeah. Although, mm-hmm. although I quite Ultimately, like that, um, I, I do quite like that uh, she's, you know, under a false name and she, you know, she doesn't try very hard because she uses her mother's maiden name, which has got to be the most obvious thing ever. But the fact that Spock rumbles her almost immediately. Yeah, and knows all her security words for her bank account now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. Yeah. Vulcans are thorough that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why he's what did you guys think of the appearance of Klingons in the movie? I think they look stupid. Yeah, I, I don't like... Like... I thought they looked. Nah, at least they kept the Klingon language. I mean, if they if they had changed that as well, that would have been far too much. Yeah. Well, they could have had the Klingons change a completely different language. Why would or, they do that? Or, 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 or even speak English or you know, something else. I, I don't know why they do that. Why do anything really? Sometimes. Uh, I mean, I knew that they were. I saw a, pic, a picture of um, what the Klingons were going to look like in this film, and I'm like, eh, I'm not sure I like that. I mean, they still come across as ruthless, mm-hmm. which is how they. But mm, I don't like the. I don't like. It's too much jewelry. That's what it is. I don't think I like the jewelry on them. Bling on. It's tribal eyes. It's totally tribal. I thought the guy that took his helmet off looked like he could have been a vampire in Buffy. <laughs> he almost looked like he was about to sparkle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, um, That's the a different thing. movie, and I'm not sure you should admit that. <laughs> I hadn't seen them. Um, I hadn't seen 
the, the Klingon look until I saw the film. And I thought the helmet was about them, you know, in the original series, the Klingons didn't have forehead ridges. And I thought <laughs> that was a way of them getting around that. But, you know, they, they keep their helmets well, like, on, so it looks like they've got forehead ridges. <laughs> Apparently those helmets were uh, reused from deleted scenes uh, from the first film. Yeah. Good to see that recycling is uh, prevalent there. Yeah, well, yeah. there's a lot of recycling going on in this film. Uh, <laughs> Star, Star, Star Trek is nothing but recycling. <laughs> Especially Seriously. Uh, the, amount, the amount of times the same set has been used for different to portray different ships, uh, you wouldn't believe it. Yeah. So, um... So yeah, we're brief interlude for the pointless Carol Marcus inclusion, but yeah. So the uh, Khan is in this film, and I don't oh, I saw that. I think that the writers and J.J. Abrams think of him as if he's like Kirk's Joker, <laughs> but he's not. He's just a guy that he's just a, a dangerous guy that he encountered a couple of times. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's a very, very, very cunning, cunning villain. Yeah. I mean, Harry Mudd's more his Joker than Khan ever was. Mm. Well, I don't. I don't. How, I, I'm interested to see. I'm interested to hear why you think um, they consider him uh, Kirk's Joker. Well, it's the idea that, right? You know, I mean, if you think of this version of Star Trek as if they're adapting a, a superhero franchise, right? Because that's mm-hmm. in in a structural sense, that's what it is. You know, the, it has the same kind of story beats as, say, a superhero film. Especially the first one, it's got that origin story thing written all over it. You know, destined for greatness, all that stuff. So, in this instance, so it's, you know, we need to introduce this villain that defines the, helps define the character. And as far as they thought it was, it was because it, it was Khan. When, actually, the, as a villain, he's probably the least important thing about that film. Because the, the film is about so much more than that. And I think when they're trying to copy that film, they're copying the wrong things. I think culturally the, it, it's probably the most well-known and maybe that's why it was this kind of touch point that people who didn't know the character or weren't familiar with the the origin or the, the film he first appeared in would have might have known the name and so there's that kind of yeah. recognition yeah. Uh, and then build a kind of legend around that. It was for me from when I first heard about the film. I knew it was going to be the um, uh, the new universe take on the Wrath of Khan, um, mm. and it's and it's explained um, how the Khan in this universe was treated differently to um, uh, from the Khan in the original universe, where he was found by the Enterprise, found he took over the Enterprise. Um, Kirk got it back and banished him to a planet because uh, he was just far too dangerous. Meanwhile, in this new universe where you've got uh, where things have changed because uh, because of the Narada and stuff like that, it's shown uh, Starfleet as being rather weak. You've got um, an admiral who wants to use him as a weapon, so he's been treated differently. So it's a slightly different character, but it's the same. Yeah, that's the way. I, that's that's that was my interpretation of it. I honestly think you could have achieved the same things just by using the Admiral and perhaps a genius Starfleet officer. Oh yeah, you, you, could, you, could, have been, you could have been totally the Admiral and using uh, power play and stuff like that and um, forcing Kirk into a corner and stuff like that um, and using rules and regulations and stuff, but we've, we've seen that in, in other films and uh, you didn't, you really wouldn't have had to 
use Khan at all in in that situation. But I think using Khan, it was more of a nod to uh, original Star Trek, and um, but also trying to um, say, well, this is not the Star Trek <laughs> your, your your dad knew. Hmm. I, don't know, I quite liked. Um, I actually quite liked the idea of John Harrison being the an extreme of everything that Kirk does at the moment. So, you know, he's reckless and doesn't believe in the rules and does what he likes, but he's, you know, much more extreme. And by seeing mm. that, he can sort of see himself reflected in that and think, hang on, oh, that's why that's important. And then he moves on from there, but again... That's quite possibly exactly the reason why he changes through the film. Yeah, but it, it all falls apart. And I think that... Um, I, I don't know. I've heard from a few people that the whole reveal of Khan has people scratching their heads because they don't know who he is and the film doesn't bother to tell you in any great detail. It doesn't, no. You needed needed to know who Khan was yeah. in the first place. It's, it, it's not explained, although he does go somewhere to explain it uh, in that scene uh, and, explain, and explain his motivations slightly. What did you um, think? When he said, "My name is Khan," I was like, "That sounds about like Keen." <laughs> it's when it, it's when it pauses for a second to let it sink in as well. It's. I just don't find Benedict Cumberbatch that uh, that threatening. <laughs> did you just call him what I think you called him? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I, don't, I think Please. he. I think he is very good in this film. I mean, he kind of delivers the whole. Um, speaking stuff really well you know he's he's a good actor um, he just... definitely plays a devious person very well because you, mm-hmm. you in, in, in scenes that we'll discuss later you're not quite sure is he on side or is he just playing his time biding his time waiting until you ju- you're just not quite sure well, I, and, knew he was, um, I knew he was up to no good from the first um, minute but... and oh, you yeah. heard that, that, I, I knew ultimately because it's Khan he'll turn uh, as soon as the the as soon as it's to his advantage, ultimately, but he still you weren't quite sure because it's just well played. I thought. No, they they turned him white, which is a little bit distressing. What's he supposed to be? He was well. He was uh, played by Ricardo Montalban, who's um. What was his nationality? I'm not sure. But he wasn't white. That's for sure. No, the the character's supposed to be a Sikh. Oh really? Yeah. I wonder why they changed it. Uh, I don't know. It's probably explained in another tie-in comic that I'll never read. But um, yeah, when it first revealed that this, you know, Khan had been whitewashed, I was a bit, I was a bit funny about that. It was no. Nah. You know, there's other. If you're going to go down this route, there's other non-Benedict Cumberbatch actors that could be playing this. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't see anybody else filling the role of Khan in that particular film, other than Cumberbatch. Uh, but I'm, I'm open to suggestions, open to in ideas. The whole world. In the whole world, you can't think of someone who could have been a better job than him. No, not whole... really. I think they should have went to the well of non-white actors. I think, I think um, Cumberbatch... Going, no, going non-white yeah. for, just for the heck of it, uh, I don't it's agree not, with that. I mean, it's not really for the heck of it. If it was a straight reboot, you could argue the, the point of colourblind casting for all the characters. But as we discussed in the previous um, the previous discussion, it's not a, a straight reboot. No, it's not. It's um, you know, it's a partial reboot. So who who would you have picked? 
Uh, I'm not sure. To be honest. I just think that the actor overshadowed the character. Yeah. Was, it, yeah. Del Toro was considered at one point and he didn't want to do it. Uh, mm. That was that was one of them. But, you know, he probably saw the script and thought, I'm not playing Khan, that's suicide. <laughs> but we have we have the can we have so we have we have who we have. Yeah. I, I personally didn't have a problem with. Hmm, I don't know. I totally agree with Gus about the whole overshadowing thing. I think maybe that's what was um, annoying me. Maybe when I was watching it, and uh, yeah, I feel like out of everyone who's an actor, that he was not the best. But it's not. I don't get paid the money to. To choose who who plays who, but I feel like somebody could have done a better job. Yeah, probably. I mean, uh, he didn't really have much opportunity to do action other than when his stuntman was doing it when he was on Chronos. Uh, so you don't really see him fight that much. Uh, but I, w- I don't think I would believe Cumberbatch in a in a fight scene. Uh, the one he has with Spock at the end just is a bit awkward. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, you wouldn't believe he would, um, he would, he he would uh, actually win out in a fight because he look he looks a bit scrawny. But maybe, maybe that's the whole reason behind it. You you wouldn't expect him to. Hmm. Anyway, I I think the character was really problematic, and and they were setting up this strong um, family motivation for him. Is it ever really explicitly explained why? He and his crew are superhumans. Is it just because they are? Uh, it just says uh, remnants of a time long past, and that's a. I think that I think that's quite a weak point in the in the film, where especially for people who don't know the character, or they're getting some impression that you know this is supposed to be someone we're supposed to know. Yeah, it's not yeah. really explained why he is who he is, or you know very much about his origin. I don't know if it's meant to remain mysterious, but. Um, I, just thought I, think that was a bit... I think they're leaning too much on uh, people will know who he is. Because mm-hmm. yeah. obviously, mo- most almost fans will know he's uh, from the eugenics war. Yeah, and was outcast. They don't even go there in this film. They don't even mention. No, they don't. Would have been nice to have that. Yeah, I mean, it would have been a very, very long exposition scene. But at the same time, you know, you've got this guy here that you just don't know who he is. Other than some uh, badass. Other than what they tell you. Uh, yes. But from the point of... They do tell you it's from like 300 years ago and anybody watching might be thinking, hang on, isn't this 300 years ago? Isn't now 300 years ago? Good point. Yeah. It's, it's quite funny in the in the original series episode, in Space Seed it's called, um, Khan appears and they talk about how in the 90s he controlled a third of the world. <laughs> you know, it's the uh, 60s yeah. in it, so the 90s is a long way away. We don't have to worry about that. This show won't be around by then. You know, that that was probably the mentality at the time. Yeah, well, each episode could have been the last. Well, yeah. That's how it's it was. 1999. That's decades from now. Who cares? You know. Yeah. That sounds futuristic. We'll yeah. do that. So, you know, you can sort of see that mentality, but... If they were if they were going to tackle this character, I think they had to do it with a bit more sophistication than they did. 
Yeah, agreed. And it's written by people that clearly don't understand what they're talking about, I think. I mean, I'm, I'm not Damon Lindelof's big fan, biggest fan, and this is a huge reason as to why. I just think he made a hatchet job of this, along with the other two. Fair enough. <laughs> right. What's up next? What's up next? So we've discussed Khan. He's a... Um, yeah. So you've got... Um, I mean, the, the big black death ship again. Right. Yeah. What, for, what for about actually that? the third film in a row. Oh, yeah. If you inc- Nemesis is about a villain bent on revenge who has a big black death ship. Mm. 2009's about a villain bent on revenge with a big black death ship. And this film, villain bent on revenge with big black death ship. Uh, is it a recurring theme there? It's, yeah, uh, it gets a bit boring after a while. Do you think Star Trek? Star Wars. Recycling. Yeah. It's, um, so you've got this, yeah, you've got the, the vengeance, it's called, because, you know, that name isn't on the nose enough. No. It's, you know, it's, it's up there with General Grievous, as far as naming goes. Yeah, let's, hammer, <laughs> let's hammer it home, yeah. shall we? Um, but it's, it's huge, for some reason, and it's designed to be manned by as few crew as possible. For That's handy. It's, it's handy when you're trying to infiltrate it, anyway. Yeah, it allows you to run around cargo holds and things without being seen. Yeah, and it can uh, track ships at warp, which apparently is not something that happens in this universe, even though that they used to do it all the time in the shows. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't. I mean, if we if we take into account how big the Enterprise is supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. They're saying it's bigger than the Galaxy class, which is uh, by far the biggest Starfleet Canon Starfleet ship that we've seen. Isn't the dimensions um, about seven hundred meters long? It's something like uh, I've heard things up to a thousand. Right. Uh, and J.J. Abrams wanted it to be this big, massive thing because again, he's got the he's got his um, Star Wars complex yeah. uh, where where you've got these massive, you know, the you, you don't. You don't realise it on screen, but those big massive star destroyers that are about almost two kilometres long—that's hmm. that's a lot of ship. Um, so you've got the uh, the Enterprise that's hugely big, and then you've got the the Vengeance, which is which dwarfs it. And you're like, yeah. how how big is this thing? It's about the size of a moon. And how big was that space dock that it was in? Yeah. That space dock that doesn't check uh, doesn't check suspicious shuttles flying up to it apparently. Indeed, and then just joining the caravan. It's <laughs> yeah. like, uh, um, so surely the the ship behind him would have went. Who's this? Who, who who's this? Yeah, well they should have detected it long before then. Anyway, oh, definitely. It's just yeah. There, there's your excuse to get Scotty on board so you can sabotage it. But yeah, so it yeah. shows up with with Robocop in command. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about and, and he yells some mad stuff that makes Khan's appeal sound worthwhile. Because, mm-hmm. you know, no, no, let's not listen to this guy. He's clearly mental. Yeah, I, I actually were... sympathised with Khan at one point. <laughs> when they were dicking out the bridge as well, they obviously went for the evil package. <laughs> yeah. I suppose yeah. you can't really have a big black death ship with the, with the apple. No. No, it just wouldn't have looked right. It's not a soft bridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
This is the this is the just it's down it's it's functional. It's a functional bridge. Yeah. Well, it's only designed to be manned by one person if they need it. So yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Have chairs. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. It's just one big mech that he's riding around in. <laughs> but yeah, so the I don't know. I thought the ship. It, it looks. I've I've seen models of it. Um, small models, and it looks okay when it it feels like it could be smaller. Yeah, it look it looks like a much smaller ship. It looks more in this. Um, it's definitely got hints towards Excelsior class. Yeah, the way that the way the neck comes down, and then there's no step for the um, for the navigation deflector. It just it just all kind of melds into one. And I like the the, the fact that the bridge. Uh, Kind of like it, but don't. Uh, the, where the bridge, the bridge is actually a little island in a in a big massive hole that's in the in the saucer. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks fine, but it's whole reason for being there, and it's introduced kind of far too late for it to be to feel like anything other than a hanger on. It's just a it's just a plot device, really. Yeah. So you know, you've got this big ship because. Marcus wants to go at war against the Klingons, but you know it's a big, it's such a big secret that he has a model of it in his office. Yeah, I've not, I noticed that. Yeah, what's and, that? And oh, s- nothing. And to scale as well. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, that's that's going to be a big ship. No, it's not. You, you saw nothing. Jedi mind don't trick. Look at the super secret project. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't look at the super secret project that I've put on display for everybody to see on my desk. Yeah. Yeah. So the. I mean, the thing is, this was your exact. This was your chance to show Kirk as a commander, as a capable commander that knew what he was doing, and he's able to tactically think his way out of a situation that seems hopeless. But instead, the Enterprise gets shot at a lot and doesn't yep. retaliate, not once. No, it doesn't, does it? Although it does get dealt the, the opening. He's not, to, to his defence, he's not expecting to be able to be, be attacked at warp because for some reason in this universe you can't do that. The vengeance can, yeah. so they're caught with their pants down. They uh, their main power gets taken out almost instantaneously because big chunks are, are taken out of the um, engineering hull. Um, so yeah, they 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 have very little shields, very little uh, power to do anything really. So that's why they don't return but fire. Yeah. So that that part I didn't. Him not returning fire, I can see why because. The ships sustained a lot of damage. Makes sense to me in that situation. Yeah. Uh, and he did kind of think out of the box by going into the the what was it the garbage chute, basically. It was just some and random tiny airlock. Firing firing himself across a debris field uh, towards um, the vengeance. That was that is a little out of the box thinking. Has also- that has that been? Done before? Well, it was rehashing the the space jump from the last film. Oh, Nemesis! Oh, uh, and rehashing Nemesis as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Whoa! So many similarities. I know, the the fact that um, the fact that Kirk works with Khan is slightly interesting. I thought it was an interesting take. Um, and he realizes that you know he's up to no good as well, but um. Also liked it when he says to Spock, "I'm useless. Uh, I shouldn't be in command. You should be." And then Spock's like, "Cool." Because <laughs> I've been thinking told, that all film. Told, this, this guy told should, you that in the last film. Yeah, this guy should not be in command. Um, yeah, that was a maybe. That was also a a waking up moment for him. Hmm. 
So maybe in the next film he's going to be a, wee, a little bit better. Maybe. There's quite a nice but, character but, moment when they're waiting to be shot out of the disposal and Can's uh, preparing for it and Kirk kind of looks him up and down and then sort of does the same thing. He looks like he's got a bit of an inferiority complex. <laughs> yeah. I like that as well. He, he copies what Khan's doing. He's like, oh, okay, look, is this how we do it? Right, fine. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I, I laughed at that. I thought that was quite funny. Yeah. I didn't I didn't really like the um, the space jump scene in this one, though. I thought it was too... I thought it was too messy. It just kind of... It kind of trundled along without really feeling like it was... Uh, well placed or anything. No, I didn't. I didn't have that uh, particular problem. They needed to get onto the ship. Transporters were banjaxed. Yeah, I, I mean more of the the execution of the actual scene itself. I didn't really feel the um, the jeopardy or, you know, it was it all felt kind of horribly forced. It's like, oh no, his helmet's been damaged. And yeah, that did feel a little bit on the forced side. Uh, I mean, surely something that would that would damage his helmet would probably go right through him. Yeah. They're going. They're going that fast. Yeah, and Khan gets taken out of the equation for a minute or two, and somehow manages to get back. Yeah, I think it was a, a, a little forced idea, but um, and you know, it gets them out of the ship, gets them doing something a bit different, but maybe, as you've said, a bit too similar to the the previous, the jump in the previous film. Yeah. Mm. Because the objective was the same, it was a small target that they needed to reach, you know. But yeah, definitely, and um, it it was it's too similar. It, it, it's uh, I agree with you on that. It, it is too similar to to the to the last one and the last one before that. Hmm. Yeah, and then once they get aboard, it's pretty boring as well. The you know they just kind of there's that small fight, that small awkward close quarters fight. Then then they get to the bridge. Han pretends to be asleep for a little while. I don't know. I think he might have actually been genuinely, uh, genuinely uh, knocked out. But then, as villains all also often do in films, uh, regains consciousness uh, at the most opportune moment. Well, you, you see um, later he gets uh, hit with three or four stun blasts and still doesn't go down. Well, that's he is genetically yeah. so, uh, enhanced. I think he's playing possum. At that point, I think it, it, it's quite possible. It, it's quite possible. Yeah, the, the, I, I wouldn't argue too much with that. Mm. Um, I mean, we have uh, precedents that uh, the the um, uh, people from his from his um, line, let's just call it, uh, do take several shots to take down. Yeah. So he crushes Robocop's face. Which, yeah. Oh, yeah, pretty harsh, and and snaps. And snaps Carol Marcus's leg. You can hear it as yeah. well. I'm like, oh, that is nasty. Yeah, but this is a not before Spock has a Skype call with himself. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's interesting. Doesn't that break some sort of like time continuum? Well, the, yeah. the, no, annoying, the annoying thing so. about it is he says, <laughs> "I vowed never to reveal, you know, <laughs> reveal the future." But here we go. But I'm going to tell you this. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, how it should have ended. They do it. They do it the best, I think. Or it may have been honest trailers. I think it was honest trailers where uh, Spock was reeling off a list of um, old Spock was reeling off a list of stuff that you should watch for, you know. And, <laughs> and they were talking about how um, you know they, they, t- they time travel a few times, and it's like, well, you're here saving this uh, 
Well, you're here in the past at this point. You might want to pick up a couple of humpback whales because it's going to save you some time <laughs> later on. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. That was quite funny. Yeah. So it's you know if I mean if he's going to tell them about Khan, then why is he not going to tell them about other things? Very true. I'd Just selective uh, exposition. Yeah. yeah. Mm. He's, it, it's having the old Spock characters in the, this film was pretty pointless because he doesn't really add anything. By that point, they're pretty sure that um, that Khan's up to no good. Yeah, you know, we're pretty sure Khan's a bad guy. Yeah, and by that, in, in that point, uh, Spock specifically asks, "How did you defeat him?" Which doesn't go anywhere either. They don't use that what? same method to defeat him. He's just making conversation with himself. Yeah. Well, actually, we didn't defeat him. He sort of blew himself up, and uh, you know. Although I'm looking forward, to, uh, I really missed that conversation where young Spock speaks to old Spock later on. It's like, how did the can situation go? It's like, it's fine. Turns out his blood can bring people back to life, uh, and old Spock's just like, ah, nuts. Could have could have been deal, doing with that information. I wish I'd known that. Need critical need to know information. Yeah. I'm just trying to think. Um, he says, "How did you f- d- defeat him?" And you don't actually see Spock's uh, reply because then it switches back to what's going on in the Vengeance. Yeah. Uh, now, as we know, in in the Wrath of Khan, they outsmart uh, Khan because he's thinking two dimensionally. Yeah. Um. So how would would that in any way? Transfer into what we see in Into Darkness. Well, do they out? They, well, they kind of outsmart him Spock by some with the most obvious ploy ever. Possibly mm. so obvious that he wouldn't have considered it to actually be something that they would do. Maybe his own con- using his own confidence against him, mm. because um, again, in Wrath of Khan, Khan had a confidence about him, and he, he went into that nebula. Confident he's going to um, kill his nemesis. Yeah, the I don't know. Um, I mean, it's a, obviously it's a clever tactic, and you know, trick him into taking what he wants and then use it against him. And um, the only explanation for Khan's behavior after that point is if he thinks his crew are still in those torpedoes when they blow up. I think he did at some point, didn't he? Because he becomes a raving madman after that point. And, I um, think he. If I remember correctly, uh, I think he does actually genuinely believe that those uh, his people were in those um, torpedoes because he 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 does doesn't he scream no? Yeah, well that could just be that his ship's disabled. True, uh, I, I don't think he gives them. Uh, yeah, I think he thinks that they're still on the torpedoes. Yeah, although yeah, I, think, I think so. Um, I actually think he would know Spock better than that as well, because earlier on they make a point of him not being able to go as far as he needs to. If you know what I mean, um, it might just be another sort of convenient um, point that uh, he doesn't <laughs> at this for some reason at this stage he's not thinking through exactly what has just happened to him. Yeah, it's it's possible he thinks he thinks he's got he knows he can think better uh, better than them. He thinks um, he's better than them. He can think ahead. He they can't outsmart him, and they use the oldest trick in the book. Yeah. And it, he just doesn't see it coming because it's just so obvious. And then when it goes bang, I think he genuinely believes Spock's just killed his crew, which is why he goes after Spock. Hmm. Although um, 
I, I quite liked it when, when Spock was, you know, was saying, "Oh, I can't give you your crew back. Your transporters are offline." He's like, "Yeah, mine are working." So, ah, yeah. Well, was that at a point when the the ship was still? Yeah, no, it was yeah. power. I just thought it was quite funny that that was Spock's excuse, and then uh, Khan was like, "Nah, mine are perfectly functional." Next. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's all part of the plan anyway, but. Mm. Um, well, just maybe stalling for time as much as he could. Yeah, I just, I, I think this whole, I mean, these this whole sequence of events is just really clumsily handled because, for one thing, they're in orbit of the moon, and uh, and then the next minute they're crashing towards the earth. Well, and you're not like, even what? That. Not even that. Where are the other Starfleet ships? They're all in the Laurentian sector again. It would appear. I mean, you see them it's all. The- Earlier in the film, you know, the orbit and that space dock thing. Yeah, I don't uh, technically, I don't, I don't personally have a problem with that because that's just typical uh, Star Trek. It, it's the, it's a trope that goes through all Star Trek films. There's never any ships around when you need them. Yeah, but they're never usually in orbit of Earth at the time. Very true. No, very true. But hey, my Admiral Marcus had influence. It could be that. Um, he sent the ships off on a wild goose chase somewhere, Maybe. so he could bring his ship out and and head off somewhere, and uh, those ships were still on that wild goose chase. Hmm. It's it's possible. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's flimsy, definitely. I mean, I will admit. I mean, all, Enterprise always being the only ship that can respond to whatever thing is uh, threatening uh, uh, the heroes has always been a little bit of a weak point. Uh, but it's just something... I, maybe I've just come to accept it, because it's just Star Trek. <laughs> so that's just how it works. Yeah. There, has to, there has to be a reason why the, the, the protagonists and, uh, and whatnot can, can, can duke it out uh, without any external interference. Hmm. What do you think about the, the, the crash scene, though? Um, mixed... Um, I enjoy it because, again, novelty, never been done before. I mean, yes, okay, the, the, the Klingon bird of prey in Star Trek Four, but we don't actually see it on the outside. Hmm. We only see just a tiny little section of it once it's mostly sunk. We don't actually see any sequencing of it. So I, I actually thought it was visually impressive and quite cool. Oh, it looked good. It was, and um, It reminded me of the special stages in the first Sonic game. With everything <laughs> turning round and you have to get somewhere. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. There, there was a lot of sliding going on, a lot of running. So yeah. yeah. Um, Are they actually hurtling towards Earth at that point, or is it, or um, I don't know, is it sort of falling out of the sky in some way that doesn't really? They're supposed to be caught in Earth's gravity, um, right? Okay, which is, you know, it, scientifically speaking, apparently, if you were that far away from Earth, the cha- you, you'd maybe fall in a matter of years, but there's no immediate danger. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and I mean, that's why the Apollo spacecraft don't get pulled back, you know, to to Earth when, the, you know, they're, they're approaching the moon and things like that. Because, you know, they're far enough away that Earth's gravity is not really a factor. <laughs> Otherwise, I thought it was good, although the, the, um, the orientation of the ship is always seems to be in quite a sort of handy direction whenever they need to run and jump over get down a catwalk or a gantry or something and then it you know shifts and 
creates a bit of jeopardy. But you know, that's just that's just confusing, isn't it? So I did like that. I did like that. I, th- I thought that was quite cool. Uh, ship tumbling, and they're get they're having to everything becomes the floor at one point or another. I thought that was quite mm. quite an interesting take because we've never seen that before. They've in Star Trek the the, the, the gravity the artificial gravity has always worked no matter how badly the ship's been battered. You know, they're always walking around fine. It's expensive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and the, uh, the we get the camera shake a little every now and then. Uh, even in the big budget films, we've never actually seen the sets do what we see in this film. So visually, I thought it was very good. And it just, again, novelty of never having been done in Star Trek before. Yeah, it's normally just to kind of stagger against whatever con. Precisely. And a couple, a couple, a couple of... Um, uh, a couple of uh, conduits uh, letting out some sort of steam, you know, someone, someone behind the scenes with a fire extinguisher going, shh, shh, shh. Yeah. you know, that's that's the, that's our lot usually. Yeah, th- there is actually mm-hmm. a really good moment during that though, where um, where Kirk and Scotty are heading towards engineering, and uh, Kirk looks up and he sees crew members just hanging off railings and things, um, and he and he sort of looks up as if he really wants to help, but he can't. He can't. But feels the only way he can help is by restoring power. That's his Kobayashi, Kobayashi Maru moment. No one, no one else in engineering is working on that. No, they're all busy ho- hanging on. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and dodging bits bits of um, unsecured uh, equipment. Yeah. Yeah, and... Um, yeah, the self-sacrifice bit. Um, it was too Wrath of Khan for me. Including the dialogue. I think that's the entire point. Yeah, it's a stupid. That was that. That was the entire point. It was because this was a rehash, um, a, a, a modernization um, of the Wrath of Khan. That I I knew that was coming. Didn't kind of half expected the 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 role swap. As soon as I saw Kirk's, uh, he was heading off. I knew okay, they're swapping roles. Uh, instead of instead of Spock saving the day, it's Kirk. Yeah. But then I went. But then I went. Oh, hang on a second. Kirk's the main man. You can't have him die. So yeah. I was kind of I was kind of expecting some sort of excuse as to why he wouldn't. Uh, but he does. But we get an excuse as to why he comes back. Yeah. Um, I remember reading an interview with Nicholas Meyer where he was asked about what he thought of the mayor. Uh, Paying tribute or homaging his film uh, <laughs> *Wrath of Khan* in this one, and he and he said that um, you know he thought they would have had to bring something new to it, but you know, so which is a bit of a an interesting dig. Uh, for those that don't know, Nicholas Meyer wrote and directed *Wrath of Khan*, so he's in a position to sort of know. He's he's an authority in my in my, in my eyes, yeah. and is also apparently um, involved in the new series. Yeah. However, how, whatever format that gets released in. Yeah. The, um, I guess the problem, the main problem with the, um, other than the reused dialogue, which I thought was just, it was just nightmarish. Fan um, service, I think. Uh, a horrible, bit too far. Uh, yeah, horrible fan service. Um, would it be nice to see some original dialogue there? Yeah. Something, something more akin to what we would expect in this universe. But also, in Wrath of Khan, the moment has weight because it's this decades long friendship that's, um, coming to an end. At least yeah. as far as they know. But in this film, they're barely friends. 
And you never really, yeah. you know, you never it's, get that impression yeah. it's a profound loss for Spock to lose Kirk. You're not as, emo- as emotionally invested in this character. And they're not as emotionally uh, uh, invested in each other. Exactly. Yeah, it, it, it's, that's it's one part I do have a problem with. It's, it didn't quite work because it's not someone that we've seen on the small screen and then uh, progress to the large screen over the course of 20, what was it, 20, odd, 20 25 years at that yeah. point. Um, uh, and, yeah, they'd, they'd been through several, several uh, long-range missions with each other off-screen off mm-hmm. in the meantime. Uh, so, yeah, they were friends and uh, Spock um, making the ultimate sacrifice and just saying that goodbye. It's like, and then Kirk whimper that, no, it's just like, wow. It, it really struck me when I first watched that. Yeah. And this one, and this one, I didn't have that emotion at all in, in mm. watching watching it in, Into Darkness. I watched it and I went, okay, so they swapped it. I'd, this time around, you've only really got what old Spock tells them about their friendship yeah. uh, to go on. At this point, they don't like each other very much. They tolerate each other. Well, actually, no. I, I think he... Kirk has sh- is showing uh, moments of actually enjoying, um, well, not enjoying, but um, not hating Spock. Hmm. I don't know. They, they, I don't think they hate each other as uh, as much. I mean, he didn't have to accept Spock as his first officer. No, they're, they're not friends it, yet, though. I mean, that's, he could have went. No, yeah, yeah. I suppose they're not. They're not solid friends as uh, uh, the original. Uh, characters in the original universe definitely not they're nowhere near that and I, I'm not sure uh, the new Spock would have actually have reacted that way really no and I haven't heard from Natalie in a while but this this is an interesting moment from a perspective of someone that only knows these characters as presented what <laughs> the um the, the moment where Kirk dies for a few minutes. And, oh yeah. And Spock's reaction to it. I mean, the, from our point of view, we know the the characters really well, and uh, from how that was originally presented. But in terms of these new characters, based on just these two films, how does it really come across? Um, that was a bit ridiculous. I wasn't a, I wasn't a huge fan of them being like, oh, there's like a ridiculous amount of radiation, blah 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 blah, and then he closes some sort of door. And then he seemed like some really, like... Maybe it was just uh, Pines acting in it that I didn't really like when he was doing that really slow, uh, oh, I can't breathe type thing through the door. Mm. But I didn't really didn't really get why they felt so emotional. I was a bit like, haven't really seen you do much together. What did you think of Spock's response to seeing Kirk? Why? Because he pretends to try and help him to get out. No, he goes to... I mean, they have a kind of moment at the at the window... What did you think of that? Um, very little. Oh yeah, but he didn't. He didn't do the Vulcan thing back. At him. He tried. <laughs> no, he didn't. He just put his hand. Like he just put his hand up. He didn't really make an effort. He was, uh, he was struggling for life at the time. True. He certainly was. He was. Dying very rapidly there. What I did like about the whole scene, though, it was still Scotty that got knocked out. Yeah, I thought that. I, thought was it was, I didn't. I didn't understand that, but I didn't really. I didn't really get why they felt that they had to take 
um, Captain Kirk's character to that limit. I thought that was like quite um, quite a bold move to do. We're only the second movie in. I imagine that you know they want to do some stuff. Like we knew that they weren't going to kill him off. So what was the point? What was the point of doing it? Because you can't take it. You don't take it seriously. You don't think of it as a serious threat to the character. Because you think, well, you know, he's going to be here in five minutes. Like, there's no way they'd let him go. Yeah, Kirk's death, it, it falls a bit flat because it doesn't feel like they're, they're friends. No. Um, if, if, if this had been um, film number six or seven, yeah, then it may have had more weight to it. And then I found... Yeah, like in Toy Story. Like, Toy Story 3, when you think yeah. they're actually going to kill off all the toys, you're like, holy fuck, like, are they actually doing this? <laughs> and then you think... You take it seriously because you think, well, it's going to be the last one, so maybe they are actually going to do it. What yep. a ballsy move! You wouldn't, yep. you wouldn't have done that in the first one. You'd be like, hmm. See, that, that's that's why the original Wrath of Khan that scene had so much weight to it, because uh, because Leonard Nemo didn't want to play uh, Spock anymore, um, which is why they killed him off in um, in Wrath of Khan. He only agreed to come back as Spock because they gave him the director's uh, chair for uh, uh, three and four. Yeah, it was three and four that he directed. I I I know he directed four. I just couldn't remember if it was three and four. Yeah, he did both. Uh, so he said he said I'll only. Yeah. They they threw in the 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 remember moment. You know the the moment that suggests that maybe he can come back. They threw that in just in case. To give themselves a lifeline in case they needed one, but it wasn't the plan initially. But you know, mm. definitely not. Um, but then you have mm. within minutes of Kirk's death, you've got a Tribble coming back to life because Bones has been injecting it with um, Khan's blood for some reason. Just just because he likes to torture dead Tribbles, maybe I don't know. I can't believe I can't believe they're like hundreds of years in the future and they're still doing animal testing. Well, it's a dead triple at that point, so... Uh, was, what, why, did, 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 did they ever actually say why it di- how it died? No. They killed it for animal testing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, apparently, so, yeah. apparently Bones just likes to inject blood samples into things for no reason. <laughs> no, you, you, don't, you don't like uh, the fact that Bones um, crawls around the ship at night looking for dead tribbles, or finding tribbles and killing them, then using uh, experiments on them. I kind of thought it was like, uh, it's a bit of bit, we- bit weak sauce as well, but uh, they needed to get Kirk back somehow. Yeah, and then they had the whole, um... The whole... <laughs> that the first one. They shouldn't have ever put him into that, like, stupid story in the first place if they wanted to get him out of it. They should never have written it. Yeah, they should never got, have written um... it. And then you've got uh, Spock's not allowed to hunt Khan down and kill him because they need his blood, but they have 71 other frozen uh, genetically enhanced people sitting in sickbay that, oh, yeah. that, that are also full of blood that could probably save him. I had not considered that. Yeah, but not activated blood. Well, they could just wake one of them up, say, good morning, give me a blood sample. Well, because then you'll have two hands running around. Well, you, you wake one up and make sure they're stunned. Yeah, Mate, I've seen Demolition Man. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> Demolition Man, that's that's the science we're falling back on. <laughs> Yay. Shut up, I love that movie. <laughs> it's, I, actually, I actually enjoy Demolition it's, Man it's as well. It's, it's good fun, but as a, you know, as a 
cryogenics um, tutorial, it's probably not the most accurate. <laughs> I don't think that's why it ever claimed to be, Craig, so no. I take it as it is. <laughs> You're citing it as an example of a... Uh, <laughs> of... I'm just saying! I'm just saying, look what happened to Wes and Snipes, okay, so... He escaped when they tried to wake him up. Yeah, but I think it was a... That's pretty much Star Trek. <laughs> but the, um... I don't know, the sequence has some... Uh, I'd pretty much checked out by this point. I was I was done with this film. Uh, as soon as the can yell happened, I considered leaving. How many times did you see it? Uh, only twice. Mm, that, oh, I'm actually quite surprised. Yeah, and the second time was only because I'd already booked tickets with family and couldn't cancel them. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Just taking them for pizza and said that you'd saved them a couple well, hours of their life. Well, for, for beyond... For beyond, I've booked tickets with my family, but I've booked myself in a separate booking so I can get out of it if I don't, <laughs> if I don't feel like I want to watch it. Yeah. See, I would never do that. I w- I'm too I'm too miserly for, with my money. I, I would sit and watch the film because I, d- I, I don't pre- prescribe no, no, to... I'll be, I'll be able to cancel it and get my money back. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. So, um, so you're going to see it with the family first. Well, I'm going to the midnight screening next Thursday, Friday. And then, uh, and then I'm seeing supposed to be seeing it again with my parents and well, with my dad and grandparents on the Sunday. But I might okay, you can handle because that's too cute if you're going with your grandparents. I'll meet them after. I won't go. Like my dad will <laughs> go with them, but I won't go. I don't have to. So um, I'm just not going to sit through something I hate. But they a want quality time. time with you, Craig. That's not fair. Well, they, they, sitting in the cinema with me is not exactly quality time. I don't say anything. Yes, it is. It's quality time. <laughs> But, but yeah, anyway, um, I checked out by this point, I think. I think I was pretty much done with it. But watching it this time, because I couldn't watch it all at once, I was watching it in chunks, it was actually after the can yell that I turned it off and left it for a bit, and then I turned it back on to watch the rest of it. Um, And there were some interesting things. I I quite like that uh, Can tries to crush um, Spock's head again, well, in the same way that he did with Marcus. And um, Spock mm-hmm. mind melds with him, so he feels it too. Yeah, that's quite a clever Spock, little manoeuvre. It, 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 I thought that was quite good as well, and I, I, I liked how uh, Spock's um, strength was almost a, 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 a one-on-one match with um, Khan's, because Khan's obviously he's genetically modified, but uh, Vulcans come from a planet with a higher. Uh, um, gravity so they're naturally a little stronger yeah and the, this is the bit that you were talking about in the, the last chat and it's the bit where it's uh, well we can't beam him up but we can beam you down for some reason oh yeah he's moving <laughs> he's moving yeah, too were... fast but you know isn't Chekhov oh, really good at dealing with transporters plus movement well at that mm-hmm. point they were, they, they were um, rolling around um, on top of each other No, but uh, when, uh, when, when Khan was running for it that when Spock initially gets beamed down. Oh, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. It was like, oh, we can't beam them up for some reason, but we can beam you down, and then they can beam Ahura down, but they can't beam them both back up. It doesn't make was any it, sense. Wasn't it because there was just far too many people about, and they couldn't, um, with, with their battered sensors, they couldn't quite uh, make the c- distinction between one person and another? I just don't think it fitted with their storyline. Bring, bring up a chunk of people then, fair enough. Like, yeah, my, them. yeah, exactly. I, I would have done that. Yeah. You know, okay, you would have had a bunch of angry people going, why am I on this battered ship? 
um, but you, you would have still gotten your, your, your guy. I don't know, the, the people don't seem any more than mildly inconvenienced by a starship crashing into the city nearby. Because when they're when they're running about, you see them. They're just going about their day in the other part of the city. Mm. Which you know. They also don't seem sad in when if nine eleven happened, you know the work, the city stops, doesn't it? So mm-hmm. it, that doesn't quite track. No. I thought it was weird. I thought one of the scenes when the ships getting hummed was weird. It was totally Titanic. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that yeah. scene where they're like clinging on? Haha. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Damn. Yeah, that was awful. Yeah. But yeah, Titanic. Titanic indeed. <laughs> so, um. Okay. But yeah, yeah, so, um. Spock defeats Khan, brings him back, Kirk gets brought back to life, he learns nothing. And he's given a ship again. And the end! That is the end. And, uh. Do you think it's warranted this much discussion over it? <laughs> well, they eventually get to the point where they're about to boldly go where yeah. no one has gone before. Yeah, and Kirk yeah. recites the captain's oath, which is apparently the um, that speech, the the space, the final frontier speech, which doesn't make any sense either. Mm. Well, I I, I like. I think Kirk had uh, learned a few lessons at that point. He, he's had his Kobayashi Maru moment, and he's realised sometimes there are no, there is no way out. Um, you know, free meal. Sometimes you just, you just have to pay. Yeah, I know he's supposed to have learned that, but I don't get the impression that he's learned that. I don't think he will honest, have. I don't think that that's part of the character charm is that he won't ever learn. He won't ever change his character, and that's why he's. Why he's different to all the other captains of all the other star Quite possible. Ships. Quite possible, but I, we just don't see much. There's not much dialogue after that um, to to suggest that he hasn't learned anything. In my view, the, the, there's just not much left in the film to show whether he has or has not. Yeah. So, you know, the the logical assumption is that he hasn't learned anything. Most likely not. Yeah. And. I know they go off in the five-year mission, which they essentially did at the, la- the end of the last film. So, five years. Yeah, in, that's in what it was all about. They were on a five-year mission. Yeah, they're in deep space for five years. And the Enterprise, Bones and complains. the Enterprise, even though he's already there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he always com- Bones always complains. Bo- Bones is the complainer. Yeah. Yeah, even always has been. Always there. Apparently, there's nowhere else to go. Um, no, nowhere else has this many dead tribbles they can inject things into. Indeed, <laughs> that might be a recurring. That could be a recurring a gag. That would be quite oh, funny, actually. God, I hope not. <laughs> Every now and then, you see him sitting in a sick bay injecting this tribble with something. Yeah. So they're off in the five-year mission, and Star Trek Beyond will be out next week. As of when we're recording this, so uh, we'll see what happens next. Definitely, mm-hmm. uh, my bet is um, I'm not sure. Obviously, there will be some sort of time has elapsed. How long has a time has elapsed? We we won't know until we actually watch the film. Unless it might not even be um, might not even be addressed. Maybe not. No, I've no idea. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking I've, forward to it. All I know is the trailer I've seen has Kirk on a dirt bike. Yeah, I'm not sure how that tracks with, but hey, 
I liked the second trailer. The second trailer had much more of a Trek feel to it. That's the one I chose not to watch. <laughs> watch it. Mm-hmm. Although, although no, watch it. It's, watch actually, it's actually quite good. I'll, I'll just, just watch the film. Yeah. But the second trailer I enjoyed because I didn't like the first one. I'm like, eh. But the second one, I went, yeah, that's got a bit of a Trek feel to it. Hmm. So, yeah. Um, final thoughts on Into Darkness after we've dissected it. It's okay, but um. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, so so many derivative moments, and that I just pale in comparison to what they're referencing, and it mm-hmm. doesn't really live up to what was kind of set out in the 2009 Trek movie, which is unfortunate because you know that set out in quite a good, strong path. Uh, so it would have been good to see to see that continued in this one, and then hopefully, hopefully the third one can kind of right the ship and uh, yeah. go in the right direction again. It really irritates me that um, they had infinite potential to tell any story that they wanted, and then they told this story. I mean, when you when you reboot something in such a way that uh, fans of the franchise enjoyed and non-fans of the franchise enjoyed, and then you decide to come rehash the most popular of those previous uh, the previous films uh, I think it's a wasted opportunity they could have done anything with this one mm. yeah fair enough yep agreed yeah. could have done anything else ok and uh, Natalie what did you think final thoughts Um. uh the first one was good. The second one is bad. That's a. Can <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to make it, you know, as a, as clear to potential viewers my feelings and thoughts on the movies. Mm-hmm. And also, it's like quarter to midnight, and uh, and I'm extremely tired. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're the, the, the only ones that I can make at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, these these discussions took a little longer than I expected, but I'd say they were worthwhile. Yeah. I'd say that we probably like should have watched the movies uh, synced together and then discussed the scenes as they were happening, because that would have been much faster. Recorded our, our own commentaries. <laughs> like Mystery Science Theatre. <laughs> but, uh, but it was fun, so thanks for having me. Uh, and I'm sure we will speak to you soon about it. Yes. <laughs> the next one. Uh, shall we try and reconvene after Beyond is out and we've seen it? And Night! <laughs> yeah, she doesn't care. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It will definitely, definitely be interesting to hear your um, point, your uh, opinions on it. I, I go, I'm planning to see it on Friday with uh, a bunch of friends. We'll make a night of it. See yeah. what happens. Well, I'll be there at midnight. Um, like I was the last time. See, I I I like my films, but I'm not that daft. So uh, <laughs> no one no one should be as angry as I was at two thirty in the morning. Oh, and I had to witness that. <laughs> <laughs> just, I, I just went home and I watched an episode of The Next Generation to cleanse. To cleanse myself. <laughs> just, uh, it was measure of a man as well. I was like, I need to see some good thought-provoking Star Trek. That was what I watched. That's a, that's a very good episode. Yeah. So and that was it. And it calmed me down, and I watched it all, and then went to Fair sleep. Enough. 
as long as you know, as long as you've got some calming measures. Yeah. I generally don't, don't let myself get so worked up. Uh, I'll if, if I don't like it, then I'll just go. Eh. I wouldn't. I would prefer to uh, not have spent money on that, but <laughs> it's done. That's and, that's um, usually the way I go about it. And my review will probably be up within two hours of me seeing it. Oh, without doubt. Um, I, I I always I always wake up after a film's been released to seeing your review. <laughs> I'm like I'm like, how does it? How does this guy do it? <laughs> it's a good question. I mean, I could not watch a film at midnight. Seriously, <laughs> not especially not if I've been working all week. Couldn't do that. No, no, no. So kudos to you for doing, being able to do that. It's it's to be there first before anybody can spoil it for me. That's that's the main motivation. See, I, I don't, I, I don't, um, I don't uh, check Facebook or anything like that when something like that has been released until I go and watch it. If I'm that, if I'm that worried about it, I don't pay any attention to what anybody else is saying. Mm-hmm. I've got a good jump bunch of friends on my Facebook who won't actually post any spoilers. Mm. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm good that way. So. But no, I could not sit and watch a movie at midnight. If it just finishes at midnight, fair enough. Uh, but I couldn't start a film at midnight. I'm 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 not that film daft. <laughs> uh, it's only the big ones. I can only do it for things like um, Civil War or or this or Batman versus Superman or you know stuff that I'm really anticipating. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, see, sometimes I, I I don't let myself anticipate anything. I, I watch the watch the trailer and go, yeah, that looks like I could enjoy it. Mm. I don't anticipate anything. I don't get myself hyped up for it. That way, maybe that's why I'm not so overly disappointed when the film's not so good. Because mm. I I don't I don't get myself hyped up and don't go, yeah, this is going to be good. This is going to be the film to end all films. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be they're going to be talking about this for a hundred years. I don't do that. <laughs> I just go, I just look at the trailer and go. Um, yeah, that looks like it could interest me. I'll go and see it. Hmm. Maybe that's just how that's just how I do it. Yeah, uh, I guess I get too attached into these. Things. I think with something like <laughs> which is understandable with something like Star Trek, it's um, yeah, with the history that Star Trek's yeah. got, yeah, yeah, it's it's understandable. Uh, you've got so much invested in Star Trek, so much, so many emotions. I have so much invested in it as well. I mean. I costume in it all all the time. Hmm. Um, so when something comes along that's not so good, and well, I'm like, eh. But the way I see it, the new films, good or bad, have breathed some new life into the franchise. We're getting a new series that would probably wouldn't have happened no. beforehand. No, it wouldn't. Have. Yeah, I think Angus is back with us after a slight con- drop in connection there. Almost made it to the very end. Almost. 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 Uh, we were just discussing how important Star Trek is and um, and how the films have generated new life for the franchise and uh, but you know it almost feels like Paramount almost don't care about it because they waited four years between the first and second one and three years after this one usually with a, a blockbuster it's two years two years two years you know yeah maybe 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 they learned from the from the last of the or, Let's call them prime movies. Um, Nemesis came too quickly after Insurrection. Insurrection too quickly after First Contact. It was every two years. Maybe they just thought ah, it's just oversaturated. Maybe we should just stretch it out a little. Yeah. I-, I can understand why they would think that. 
Maybe. Maybe they just didn't want to just oversaturate the market like what Marvel are doing. Mm-hmm. But that seems to be working for Marvel. But then again, it has a much more... Um, well, it's a bigger fan base. Mm-hmm. And it's much more inclusive to, to, uh, to people. Yep. Star Trek's okay. still seen as a, a, a nerdy sci-fi thing. And uh, you know it's uh, oh it's uh, it's spaceships and lasers and I'm not interested in that. But 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 highest grossing film of all time. Yeah, indeed. Then they go oh, and then you say well, you go, Iron Man shoots a tantamount lasers from his from his hands, and then yeah, fans are fans, and you'll always get fans that poo poo one thing but like another thing, which is exactly the same but in a different suit. Yeah. So, on that note, I think we should wrap up this uh, discussion that's almost as long as the film itself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, reconvene when Beyond is out and everybody's seen it. Uh, Angus, do you know when you're seeing it as yet? I don't know yet, but I'm going to aim to get it soon. Soon. Yeah, that's my intent as well. Cool. So, hopefully, maybe within the first week. I will let yeah, you know if I've, I'll let you know if I've seen it, uh, and uh, and I'll be happy to come back and uh, discuss that as well. Yeah, I can maybe rant or or praise depending on what goes on. Ooh, the first week praise might... would be praise would be good for a change. Yes, it'd be nice. I don't like hating <laughs> Star Trek. It's not a good <laughs> world when you hate Star Trek. Yeah, no, no, it's just not. But we'll see. Um, we will so on that note I think we should wrap up thank you everybody for joining Natalie who's left before I could beam her out <laughs> need to, beam her out I can't, beam I can't, her out of the shower that will annoy her I can't beam her out she's moving too fast <laughs> <laughs> oh dear yeah. moving too fast definitely yeah. zipping about yeah thanks for coming yeah. so um, I'll just been a pleasure beam you out Goodbye. Bye. Thank you. Transport successful. I hope. Thanks everybody for listening and hope you will join us on the next Meal Before Podcast.